0: 6 o'clock in London, 1 p.m. in New York, 1 a.m. in Hong Kong, 3 a.m. in Sydney, 10 a.m. in San Francisco, and 10.30 at night in Mumbai. Greetings, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world. My name is Patrick L. Young. The IPOvid live stream, Series 7, Episode 1 starts here. Oh, the joys of summer in the Northern Hemisphere. Actually, ladies and gentlemen, I must declare this is going to be our last live stream for the time being. We'll be back in the middle of September, largely because of, well, the heat and the light and the summer and all those sorts of things happening to us. Of course, this was the week where it was all coming home. Until it was decided that even football, let alone the summer holidays, would be subjected to two PCR tests and indeed a lengthy quarantine. In the case of football, that's going to last until 2020 several, when apparently there's a World Cup, at which point in time football will be coming home once again. Apparently, or so says the mainstream media. Meanwhile, these streets of Valletta saw mass rights of Maltese supporting England whose hopes were dashed, albeit they were relieved that, at least in previous much more significant confrontations, the English didn't deign to try penalties to decide the results with the Axis powers. Now, of course, that's just a very flippant way of introducing what is our Midsummer edition, ladies and gentlemen. All this and more, of course, has been covered in greater detail in exchange invest daily the unique newsletter of the bourse business send us an email or hit me up patrick Allion, on whatever social media stream you're watching this this evening and we will be happy to sign you up for a free 30-day trial so that you can keep reading about what's happening in the parish of markets the world of exchanges and financial market structure right across the summer while we're taking a break from ipo vid live stream until mid-september Our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, is Dr. Robert Barnes, and it's the view from subscriber number one, because indeed he was the very, very first man to pay for a subscription to the Exchange Invest newsletter. However, that's only one tiny microcosm, one might say almost one little biological particle of his incredible history and career to date. He is a certified Bioscientist, that's where his doctorate originally comes from, before he found the wonderful world of markets. Nowadays, he's the Group Head of Securities Trading and the CEO of Turquoise Global Holdings. Group Head of Securities Trading, of course, being an Epithet, which goes with that most incredible household name in the world of securities exchanges, the London Stock Exchange Group. Previously before joining London Stock Exchange Group in 2013, Robert worked at UBS in various roles including as Managing Director of Equities and he was actually the founding CEO of the successful MTF, Multilateral Trading Facility, an alternative place to trade shares, the UBS MTF. He's had many industry roles over the years, having served as chairman of the Securities Trading Committee of the London Investment Banking Association and participated in a wide range of key advisory and policy groups within the financial services sector, including the UK FSA's Capital Markets Senior Practitioner Committee and the European Commission's Clearing and Settlement Expert Group. Robert holds a BA from Harvard, a PhD from Cambridge, and is a Chartered Fellow of the Chartered Institute for Securities and Investment. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. It's the word from subscriber number one. Robert, good evening. Where in the world are you today?
1: Well, Patrick, thank you very much for that kind introduction. And it's my privilege to be speaking live from the City of London here in the UK. Thank you.
0: Fantastic. So there you are. You're live in the City of London. How are things in the City of London these days?
1: I have to say the city is feeling great. In fact, I recall your own great book, Capital Markets Revolution, where you called for liquidity, accessibility, transparency. And I think for all of us in the parish, having had the experience of starting on the floor to seeing the introduction of the Internet to the electronification of the markets, those very themes... Continue today.
0: That's very interesting, Robert, because you're right. I mean, good grief, it's 22 years ago. It's 22 years ago, just the other week, that Capital Market Revolution was first published by the Financial Times Prentice Hall. And at that point in time, it all seemed rather radical, didn't it? I mean, a lot of this stuff wasn't being widely talked about. And in fact, You and I, we share an interesting piece of pedigree because, of course, I don't have a PhD and and I didn't go to Harvard. But we did serve in one of the great finishing schools of the 20th century, the floor of the London International Financial Futures Exchange. Now, tell us, what was it like to have recently completed a PhD and then find yourself in this amazing, well, somewhat zoological garden of financial markets? Well, candidly, I recall the gentleman that hired me said,
1: "Uh, Robert, I've hired you for your integrity, but you don't know much about finance. You're heading down as a yellow jacket on the floor. And I would say it was really one of the most remarkable learning experiences to be able to climb up to the back of the pit, to look down and see the action. And when things became quiet, the seniors used to come up to us and say, look on the floor, pick up that discarded ticket turn it over where there would be a blank side, and then let's practice problems. And that type of paying it forward, teaching us how to become good through learning by doing, you know, I think that's a great culture that we'd like to carry on in the
0: parish. That's a great point, isn't it? And certainly, I mean, one of the most exciting things, most interesting things about Open Outcry was genuinely the community. And it was incredible to go to, I mean, originally the floor of the Royal Exchange, where we both started. And that was amazing, because there you have the history going all the way back to Sir Thomas Gresham, who paid for the place. who was a pivotal Lord Mayor of the City of London, the man behind... What many people call Gresham's Law about uh, good money drives out or bad money drives out good, which uh, actually I would say is Copernico Gresham's Law because Nicholas Copernicus was positing it a couple of hundred years earlier. But the history is incredible because certainly you're right. I mean, everybody wanted you to learn, everybody wanted the market to be better. And despite the fact that it was cutthroat competition for business, there was this amazing cooperative stance of people wanting to make a better market.
1: That's right. And in fact, there was a code, whether it is, you know, dressing well, understanding how to communicate, whether it's through hand signals or following the etiquette of how to share out orders to those that would match the prices, that type of transparency, that try of fairness, trying to always get a better result, trying to innovate to provide liquidity through market making at a time when the banks had the balance sheets to be price makers, whereas today, in the new world they're mostly price takers it's really been a phenomenal evolution from that great training area of the floor through into the introduction of electronic markets
0: so it's a great point robert i mean we saw this we lived through this and as you say i mean i wrote this book capital market revolution in 19 i was published on first of july 99 which in many ways foresaw all of what was going to take place but nonetheless I mean, it is incredible when you look today, I mean, take Turquoise, the venue that you're running and you see the volume that you're doing today is what? Probably equivalent to what the entire London Stock Exchange was doing 20 years ago.
1: Well, what's amazing is the beauty of the introduction of the Internet allowed those of us to participate in the electronification of the markets And when the order book was introduced into the London market, into the London Stock Exchange in October of 1997, as we got to 1999, just as you were writing your book, you know, the London wholesale market, 1999, the average trade size was about £64,000 per ticket. And of course, what happened over time, like many, if not all exchanges worldwide that have gone electronic, the average trade size began to shrink. So you go from £64,000 per trade in the kind of number one wholesale international market, London Stock Exchange, and by the time you get to 2008, just before the crisis, that size had come down to about £7,000 per trade. At the same time, the value growing on London Stock Exchange really grew by a factor of six times. But interestingly enough, because the average trade size has come down so much, the number of tickets was actually going up 35 times and with the introduction of trading clearing and settlement straight through processing the ability to engage anonymously on electronic order books with the presumption of enforceability of contract meant that the confidence allowed people to really scale business and when we think about what was also special at that particular time in 99 2000 in 2001 and I think also your book was was published, what was fascinating was the publication in February of 2001, the famous Wise Men Report. The Wise Men Report commissioned by the European finance ministers who had really made some interesting observations that demographics, people in developed countries, particularly in Europe, were getting older and living longer, which is a good thing. But interestingly enough, there were needs for the reliance on direct contribution pensions, this great shift from final salary to direct contribution pensions. And in that wise men report, they made some observations. They said, well, over a period of time from the mid 1980s to the late 1990s, assets growing in Europe were growing about six and a half percent. But in the United States, they were growing more than 10 percent. So the question is why? Well, one of the observations was in Europe, which was a collection of individual countries, the cost of trading, clearing, and settlement, and particularly cross-border trading, clearing, and settlement, was adding a frictional cost. And so one of the tools that regulators had at the time was to introduce competitive entry to try and address those costs. And your question is a great one, Patrick, because one of those entrants that Appeared in 2006 as an idea and went live in 2008. Was turquoise and the ability to have one connection to trade multiple countries. And we've grown from nothing to doing about two and a half billion euros a day. Of course, London Stock Exchange is doing about four billion sterling a day. And together, you have a phenomenal liquidity pool of what is in the UK the number one single country equity market in Europe and a pan-European platform that's accessible through the London Data
0: Center. Thank you. It's absolutely fascinating all together. The bells are ringing from the churches of Valletta, saluting your four billion dollars, four billion pounds a day, and what was that? Two and a half billion euros a day. I mean, this is sensational numbers altogether, Robert. If you think about how it's going on. And yes, it's interesting to look at the average trade sites because as you say going up 35 times the number of tickets, and therefore we've reached the point where. In this day and age, I mean, they're actually probably Groupon coupons or at least gift coupons that are actually larger than the average trade size on a lot of the stock exchanges in the world. No bad thing. It just shows how efficient those markets have become. But yes, you're right. I mean, looking back to the wise men and the reports of the early 2000s in the European Union, there was an incredible momentum then to truly improve the European markets. And I mean, we often talk about this thing, MIFID, Market and Financial Instruments Directive. And really, the original MIFID 1 was a sensational great leap forward, to borrow a phrase from a different continent. It really, really revolutionized how everybody was able to go around about their trading when it was allied with the technology.
1: Well, that's absolutely right. In fact, you know, people often joke that uh, markets and financial instruments directive, MIFID, stands for many investment firms find it difficult. But the reality <laughs> is that, in fact, the quality of markets in Europe, one could argue, are probably best from a regional point of view than anywhere in the world. And that's really meant in a a spirit of cooperation and partnership. Uh, But if we take a look how fascinating the European markets have evolved today, even with alternate venues that are trading and competing with the primary stock exchanges, the primary stock exchanges each today, intraday, still are representing the majority, over 50% of the daily value of intraday order book activity. Uh, That's not necessarily the case in, in, say, the Americas, where you may have the primary markets and much, much less than 50% of the stock trades on the venue that it was listed. The other thing that's really fascinating about London is how many of the stocks are liquid. If you just even look at the indices... FTSE 100 is the blue chip number of securities, the Eurostox 50, uh, the DAX 30, uh, CAC 40. I mean, the FTSE 100 is our blue chip index. The FTSE 250 is the, you know, mid cap index. We've also got the most successful growth market, which has just celebrated 26 years strong, which is the AIM market. And that has a combination of order book as well as still quote driven activity. And of course, we're also blessed worldwide with more international members connected into the London Stock Exchange for that dynamic cash market. In fact, I was speaking to a colleague earlier today and said, "You know, what do you think is special about the London cash markets? And he said, well, you're able to interact with liquidity. You wouldn't interact with anywhere else just because of the diversity of members that are coming to London to
0: connect. It's a fascinating point all about the diversity, Robert. It's really, really interesting. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here this evening on IPO Vid Livestream with Dr. Robert Barnes. He's the man who runs the Turquoise Market in in London. He also happens to be the Group Head of Equity Markets at the London Stock Exchange Group as well amongst his many hats that he's worn over the years. If you've got a question for him, ask away. We'd love to hear from you. Also, please send us a little bit of love if you get a chance and uh, hit that like button somewhere around the social media screen where you're at. Just to put it in perspective, actually, I'm just having a look here on the uh, the Exchange Invest, world's most influential in market structure, which was last published a couple of years back. I noticed you were running at number 172, Robert, in the overall list of 1,000 people. That's a pretty spectacular number, and that's why it's a delight to have you in the studio today. Uh, meanwhile, so, looking at these markets, London has got this incredible international footprint. You've got all manner of very, very well, essentially, you know what it's like? It's like Paul Gallico. I mean, I've said this before, I'm sure, many times, probably you've been bored with this at conferences. But when Paul Gallico was a famous novelist, he remarked that he still loved going and writing about the ball games for the New York newspapers on a Saturday night. And people said, Why are you here? You're a wealthy novelist. And he said, Well, he loved covering the ball games because all human life was there. And I think one of the things that was true of the life exchange and is also true, actually, of what's going on now in the London Stock Exchange, all human life is there. It's quite an incredible array of market participants. So, therefore, looking at that array of market participants, Robert, how do you see the next steps for London moving forward in terms of, I mean, how do you manage to grow that to be even more international given the vast international footprint, for example?
1: Well, you know, my humble view as a practitioner is to consider what are the special features of our landscape today? And I think what's really special is we consider London the international financial center. And the London Stock Exchange is the cash equities market at the heart of that international financial center. But the international financial centers in an electronic market have become to grow and they come to grow into a network effect. When I think of the uh, global financial centers index that Zien publishes, they had a count of 74 international financial centers in 2013. The most recent publication, which came out in March of 2021, had 114. So the observation is the number of financial centers is increasing. So what's the insight? The insight is that in an electronic world of connectivity, as financial centers connect, they can thrive. And what lessons can we learn elsewhere in the equities market? Well, when we consider there are trillion dollar market cap companies in the world now, like Apple and Amazon and others, know what is special about what these companies have done well with Apple how many people are now buying VHS cassettes to watch video or CD-ROMs to listen to music it's literally you know tap on the button on the mobile and participate in the content delivery it's been that digitization of that experience if we take a look at Amazon the amazing uh, ability to kind of type a few keys and like magic the groceries appear outside your door instead of having to lug to the store and bring things back and transport. It's the digitization of that workflow. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's our privilege to be in the finance industry and we're now in the digital revolution that you had called for all those years ago, Patrick. The fact that when we look at Metcalfe's law, which was really talking about, I guess, network effects, that the value of the network grows with the square of the number of nodes, we really have an opportunity to work together to try and get those scale economies as we work together to give a better result on a consistent basis for the end investor. And that really is the definition of best execution.
0: Fascinating, Robert. So you've drawn together two really interesting strands there because you're talking about best execution. And obviously that's something which I know within Turquoise, you have, if you don't mind by putting it politely, obsessed over for the course of the last eight years that you've been trying to get the absolute best possible execution. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it's very interesting how you talk about capital raising because certainly, I mean, AIM has had an unprecedented success. I mean, it's surely not only the most successful marketplace in Europe for SMEs, I would have thought it must be the most successful marketplace for SMEs in the world in terms of just going out raising capital and being a great nurturing point for the companies of tomorrow. And that that must make it really a challenge, because from your turquoise perspective, you're obviously part of a group that's trying to go through the entire process, the entire cycle of raising money and making companies tradable.
1: Well, thank you. I mean, that's a
0: great observation.
1: So firstly, when we think about the act of capital raising and underwriting, this is a business that can happen worldwide without borders and it's fascinating to see how markets like AIM can be a great platform to serve entrepreneurs all over the world and in fact what's fascinating is in markets like the United States that are so successful in raising these absolute mega caps um, for many companies that are trying to raise capital below say a billion dollars it can be a real challenge and this is where AIM comes in to be so attractive. I mean, one of the great case studies I recall was, you know, a company uh, called Boku from San Francisco that set up uh, was a payment company which now connects to, say, 50 different countries. They decided to raise their capital in London, on the London Stock Exchange on AIM. And what was fascinating about that particular case study were the original investors. Uh, you know, Index, Koshla, Andresen Horowitz, I mean, some of the, you know, uh, Rolls-Royce names, Blue Ribbon names and private equity. But when they did the capital raise, and it was about 100 million, a particularly niche size, who joined the shareholder list? River and Mercantile, Legal and General, Schroeders, some of the biggest long-term institutional asset managers. And that's the beauty of the public markets, because when you win those institutional asset managers, they can be there to provide the follow-on capital for your growth. That's the real magic of the public markets. If We then come down into the secondary trading. The London Stock Exchange being the deepest, most liquid equity, cash equity uh, primary market in Europe. You have not only the intraday trading, you have a jewel at the end of the day, which is the closing auction, that instant of record of reference that contributes to values for fund managers, to the index calculations. Uh, It's also great for passive managers who want to continue to grow those assets under management for those that want uh, good trackers at a low cost. But of course, the majority of asset managers in Europe are still active stock pickers. And while they like to have the liquidity events of the closing auction, and in London, for some of the securities, it can be 30% of the daily value in that one instant. They love that closing auction, but they don't only want to have to find the closing auction as a liquidity event if they want to do large blocks. And one of the features of Turquoise as part of the London Stock Exchange group has been to complement that deep cash equity liquidity of the lit order book on the London Stock Exchange with the ability to trade at the midpoint of the best bid and offer and to solve in partnership with asset managers, one of the great engineering puzzles of finance, how to trade large blocks on order book inside the touch where the buyer and seller both get price improvement. And together, the London Stock Exchange and Turquoise really give the result where there is a constant focus on reducing the slippage cost at the time of transaction. And of course today, In a world where interest rates are low and investors are looking for growth, being able to trade with low slippage cost positively compounds to give long-term investment returns. Thank you.
0: Robert, fascinating. I was actually just on the cusp of going to ask you a block trading question, and then you jumped right into the middle of it and talked about it, which is really, really fascinating altogether. We've got a few questions jumping in, so I think we actually will go to those. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. If you'd like to ask Robert a question, you've got, well, you've got 36 minutes at the moment to get your question in, if you'd like to talk to him about something. Now, let me see. Well, actually, there's a big macro question. We've got someone on LinkedIn. Hi, good to see you. Great to see you, Robert. How has the Brexit transition impacted Turquoise? Now, I appreciate this is an ongoing story, Robert, but just tell us a little bit about recent history.
1: Well, thank you very much. Well, if you recall, uh, the vote on the European referendum took place on the 24th of 23rd and announced on the 24th of June 2016. And At that time, uh, it was a bit of a surprise based on what perhaps the prevailing majority were expecting, and as a result, that 24th of June 2016 was one of the most volatile, most high turnover days of many primary markets in Europe. It was certainly a peak also on turquoise, not just in our lit order book, but our dark pool. It was a peak day for the London Stock Exchange. It was a great success. Everything ran very smoothly. But what was fascinating is as we had launched the Turquoise Plato Block Discovery Service, uh, you know, we had deployed the service in 2013, it went live in October 2014 as the first members connected. We won the beauty parade with the Plato partnership in 2015 and really got things going in 2016. Well, about 3% of the value of our dark pool, of our midpoint matching were blocks. As we come into the year of 2020 and the year before uh, Brexit, which is the uh, 4th of January, 2021, the first day of Brexit, really two things remarkably happened during 2020. The first with the pandemic was the fact that across all of us in the parish, all of the primary exchanges, the market stayed open. And I think in London, this was a particularly great story of how the authorities came together Uh, to allow temporary uh, rules and the investors and the issuers came together and there were very significant capital raisings, the market stayed open. And at the same time, with that deep liquidity that we saw on the London Stock Exchange uh, cash equity market and the closing auction providing that liquidity event at the end of the day, the proportion of electronic block trades at the midpoint on turquoise grew to be more than 50%. And even when we had days like the 9th of March 2020, which was Black Monday and the market going down, or 9th of November 2020, when the market surged upwards on the euphoria of vaccines, even though the markets were quite volatile, we had all-time records of activity of matching at the midpoint for the electronic block trades. In fact, the same dark pool turnover records in March and November of 2020, as we had in the total turnover on the 24th of June 2016. But whereas 3% of the activity in 2016 were blocks, by 2020 it was now more than 50%. The insight, electronic block trading had become mainstream. So as we're now moving into Brexit, obviously the European securities trading obligation meant that European investors would be required to trade EEA listed securities only on a European regulated venue. And so therefore to provide continuity of service, we launched a completely new duplicate exchange called Turquoise Europe, which was regulated uh, within the continent from Amsterdam. And we were very pleased as we moved into the 4th of January, a uh, complete continuity of service. In fact, our Turquoise European lit activity you know as a venue is relatively you know small compared to the primaries i'm pleased to say this year to date uh compared to the average daily value of turquoise europe lit in january of 2021 to today it's become the fastest growing eea lit order book and that's complementing nicely the liquidity in the electronic block trading and the significant trading on london stock exchange which the London Stock Exchange cash equities has continued to trade, has had no real impact uh, post-Brexit. And in fact, on the IPOs, we've had probably the best first half since 2014 in terms of number of IPOs, and very significantly, the companies that are coming to our market, something like 40% plus, are significantly tech and consumer securities. So when you consider last week, we also had the remarkable innovation of the direct listing of WISE, otherwise formerly known as TransferWISE, serving investors around the world, transferring money in really efficient ways. You know, there are lots of ways we are listening and returning with new innovations to help investors get their business done.
0: And I think actually, Robert, you you suddenly piqued the interest of the production gallery there because actually, full disclosure, they all get paid via Wise because it's simply the most efficient business. That was a spectacular IPO actually last week. And I mean, I just, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here this evening with uh, Robert Barnes. We've got several questions stacked up. We're going to be talking to those questioners in a moment and we're going to be discussing that but it was interesting i mean the whole wise ipo eight billion pounds in value created there very very smooth operation quite sensational together well done all the folks at the lseg let's move to ah a well-known figure in the financial market sphere alex wilkinson good evening alex great to see you again Hi, Robert, do you see the change in the aggregate costs in the acquisition of value at risk in the equity markets over the last 20 years?
1: Wow, that is an excellent question. Isn't well, it? I mean, Alex, I'm going to defer to you because I know you are a great expert in this particular space. What I would say is that it's interesting to notice how the clearinghouses have moved to a value at risk methodology. And I think most recently, if you look in the continent, LCH SA, which is the French-based Paris clearinghouse, which serves all of the Euronext Isons, Euronext also a very well-respected market, they are recently moving from SPAN, which was the standard portfolio analysis of risk model. In fact, that was the model, Patrick, you may recall that LIFE used to use with LCH in the calculation and all those years ago, to a VAR model. And so I think with the VAR model, uh, you tend to find that the potential calculation hopefully gives more transparency, but the margin is able to be calculated in a way that uh, is more efficient. Um, So I would happily, uh, happily, Alex, get your further feedback on your opinion on where you think that particular trend is gone. Thank you, sir.
0: Really fascinating question. Sorry, it's the demon ice cream van in the background. It's that time of the evening once again, ladies and gentlemen. Fascinating altogether, the um, the whole issue. I mean, we're discussing these minor pieces of risk these days, which is quite sensational because if you think about it, 20 odd years ago well you know back to this book I mean I published that and I said why don't we have central counterparty clearing to get over the hump in that time that they're trying to settle their equities at that point in time it was mostly off often t plus five in a lot of places t plus three in some t plus two in others and everybody thought it was ridiculous and here we are with Alex giving us a fascinating question about the minutiae of value at risk calculations which demonstrates how much more sophisticated the plumbing has become behind the scenes. I mean, it's quite a sensational move forward, isn't it, Robert? Well, I would add that if we take a look at the total costs
1: of acquisition of equities, the explicit costs in terms of fees have come down significantly through competition and innovation, including with great credit to the primary stock exchanges like London Stock Exchange, who have introduced tariffs that have volume discounts. The fees have come down significantly at the trading layer. At the clearing layer, they've also come down very significantly. I think many can recall when it costs a public tariff of €0.65 euro to clear a single Dutch trade, that's probably down to a marginal rate more of like two. So more than 95% of the costs have come out of the clearing layer. I think one of the great opportunities going forward will be what happens in settlement? Because in settlement, uh, as we take a look at innovations elsewhere in the market, distributed ledgers and others. And again, this is another topic, Patrick, that you're a great leader on. You know, there's great opportunities for efficiency in the workflow. So that's on the explicit cost. On the implicit costs, we've also seen with innovation and choice of execution channels, one size doesn't fit all. But the ability to access a suite of execution channels enables one to get a lower overall slippage cost. And if one is following the best practice, that should contribute positively to long term investment returns. Thank you.
0: Well, that's a very, very interesting point. I'm going to go back to the questions in a minute, actually. And thank you very much, Alex Wilkinson. You've left a lovely comment. Thank you for the answer. It was not what what, what I was expecting. And definitely he's looking forward to an offline discussion, Robert. That's absolutely fabulous. Very, very interesting to look at this whole nature of the clearing, the settlement, the efficiency. I mean, when we were a first on the floor of the life exchange, I mean, costs there for the major international banks nowadays, they've gone down to 95 or sorry, they've gone down by 95 percent from those levels. For the retail traders, I mean, the retail traders were at like $200. Now they can do stuff in interactive brokers for basically nickels and dimes. And you look at the costs to institutional traders who are paying many dollars, certainly in double figure dollars for most contracts and futures and options in the 1980s. And now they're paying merely you know, nickels, dimes, handfuls of cents. It's incredible. And as you say, also, the possibility and workflow, the possibility to reduce charges overall. And also, obviously, what Alex was getting at, the ability to reduce collateral so important. And that actually brings me very elegantly to a great question altogether from none other than PJ Marino. PJ, good evening. Great to hear from you all together. So lovely to have you on the show. I do believe it's your first question on the IPOvid stream. not before time. I hope we'll see you back very, very soon. Robert and Patrick, do you have any comments on the July HMT, that's Her Majesty's Treasury, wholesale market review, and where you can already see areas where we'll have divergence between UK market structure and the EU's MIFID too? Joy.
1: Well, PJ, thanks very much. You are one of the great icons of the innovation of RegTech, and that's a great question. I think the opportunity, now that the UK is separate from Europe, is to listen to the community of users that want to keep those regulations that facilitate straight-through processing, but also to take a look at where there may be some opportunities to change, to give some more competitive opportunity. I think areas where people are expecting some change are the kind of minutiae of rules that were put into the Level 1 text of MIFID II, things like the double volume caps, which may have had an intention to try and drive small trades of dark pools to lit order books and unintentionally had the opposite effect. They saw a rise in new venues like frequent batch auctions, rise in systematic internalizers, not just from the banks that were no longer allowed to do broker crossing networks for equities, although they could still do things like that for other asset classes, but also many of the liquidity providers who prefer to trade on the lit order books of stock exchanges, also creating their own systematic internalizers massively. Increasing fragmentation, but hopefully, ultimately, with the sophisticated investments made by investors, you know, a virtual pool of liquidity that's still serving the end investor. So, we're just at the start of this journey of looking at not just the HMTs and uh, the FCA's wholesale markets review, the European authorities are also looking at a review of MIFID II. And this is a very healthy time to be taking a look at the very framework within which we can behave as an entrepreneur. Thank you.
0: Very interesting. I mean, the points you're raising there, Robert, because I must admit, while I think Mifid, the original Mifid was a fantastic thing, it really fundamentally thrust forward the concept of a European capital market and made it a potential thing that hopefully one day will actually reach its potential. I have to say I have huge misgivings about Mifid 2. I mean, it very much struck me always as being like the ultimate sequel where we've seen so many great movies made, first of all, like Star Wars, and then we all go and watch The Empire Strikes Back, which had three times the budget and five times the crew and goodness knows how many other multiples. And actually, we all ended up feeling somewhat disappointed. And I've never really been satisfied with Mifid 2. What I'm interested, though, is this If it's my reading of it, the wholesale market review and the divergences that seem to be coming out in that seem to me to be very much in favor of pushing business away from platforms or at least away from the exchanges and back towards the banks. Is that a reasonable perception or am I just misreading the rooms here? Mm. Well, I think this is an important time for us as a community to consider where
1: we've come from the significant technological investments that we've made, whether they are the issuers, the intermediaries, the investors. I mean, the buy side have had to do significant investment. The sell side, an enormous technological investment into smart order routers to be able to manage the physical fragmentation to provide a single pool of liquidity. At the same time, the margins have come down dramatically on the industry it's become very challenging for many of the member firms in the parish to actually uh, operate profitably in certain types of business. And we've got an opportunity to think about, well, what really matters when we take a look at a market? One, structurally, does it work? Two, commercially, can we do it uh, that's attractive? And three, in a framework where we're providing transparency, competition, investor protection. And one of the great opportunities of having a stock exchange is while we have to spend a certain amount every year on CapEx and to maintain an orderly market, we're here also to listen as we are constantly investing to try to do things once that we can syndicate the cost through the digitized network so those intermediaries and those investors can focus more on what their real points of differentiation are. So I guess my humble call to the parish and the community is, you know, at the London Stock Exchange, we are listening. We are ready in this new world of digitized capital markets to hear what can we do to be aligned with the collective business models of our industry. Thank you very much.
0: Very interesting altogether, Robert. And certainly there seems to be quite a lot of model debate going on at the moment, which I welcome. It's, it's really interesting when you think about how relatively static exchanges were for umpteen hundreds of years. I mean, you can read Confusion to Confusionist by Joseph de la Vega about 17th century Amsterdam, and it really looked like the life floor in 1980-something or other. It's quite fascinating. Loads of questions coming in. Thank you again, PJDG Mourinho. What a thought-provoking question. It was really, really interesting. Ladies and gentlemen, send us a little love. If you get a chance, please like us. Hit that like button across the bottom of your screen. And most significantly, ask us a question if you'd like to have one for our great guest this evening, the boss of Turquoise, Robert Barnes. Oh, so two short-fire, quick-fire questions for you here, Robert, that might require slightly longer answers, First of all, the great women on IT organisation, they'll be back tomorrow evening with their positivity hacks delivered at 6pm, I do believe, European time. I look forward to that. How did your team cope with the COVID lockdowns, Robert?
1: Well, thank you very much. Well, firstly, I must say the team have done an absolutely extraordinary job across London Stock Exchange and Turquoise. And when we first went into the three weeks of expected work from home that extended into more than a year, I think many people were pleasantly surprised at how smoothly the technology worked. I mean, we really are blessed at London Stock Exchange to have an absolutely stellar technology team, IT support team, whether it's from managing the global matching engines to our actual desk support. And we found two things. One, not only did our commuter uh, connectivity worked so smoothly, but number two, we found we were also very able to connect to our customers. In fact, without all the time of transporting in terms of having meetings, uh, we were often able to get access to customers uh, more dynamically. So overall, the simple answer is it works surprisingly well, much better than expected. And I think now, as we've heard elsewhere, the hybrid muscles of doing a combined working from the office and working remotely will probably continue. Thank you.
0: I think that's a great point, Robert. And actually, I think one of the best things that came out of this, thank you very much woman on it for the, the great question. One of the most important series of things that came out of it was one, the parish of exchanges including London Stock Exchange Group and Turquoise were sensational. All of that planning, the investment that's been made over many years really came through and you saw a paucity of days of downtime, which was fantastic. Second of all, I think the interesting thing is looking at your capital raising markets. and You mentioned how it was relatively easy to deal with people, to speak to people. But I think it's fascinating because... Look at the way that roadshows took place. Look at the amount of money that was raised in the second half, of, the second quarter, even of last year, when people were trying to bring forward new and interesting offers in order to make sure that their businesses were shored up or selling bonds or whatever. And the way we're able to do that online, viva the Zoom ability to Zoom your way around a roadshow. It's just fantastic. Robert, I've got um, a fascinating comment come in here from PJ DiGiomorino. It's going to block out most of the screen here. We're going to have to look over it uh, rather um, rather intriguingly. Look, PJ DiGiomorino, thank you, Robert and Patrick. Just for the record... I think this is you, Robert. I blame you for getting me into MIFID 2, in MIFID 1. Surely it couldn't have been me. I couldn't agree more. Now is the time to leverage new digital standards and bring down the cost of pre- and post-trade transparency. We're getting good traction with MR Refit Digital Regulatory Reporting, and I hope to follow up on how we can leverage the approach for MIFID 3 which hopefully will be the third sequel where they actually spend a lot more time and effort on get crafting the script rather than making everything work. So he's looking forward to following up with both of us. I look forward to hearing from you, PJ, and I think I could speak for Robert when I say he looks forward to hearing from you too. Thank you for your questions this evening. Really super. And actually, I'm going to jump, Robert, because we've got a great question here from one of our regular viewers, Ruben Indajikian. It's great to see you, Ruben. Thank you very much. Now, May proliferation of online marketplaces bring fragmentation of stock exchanges by introducing new players? Is there a risk for London as a financial centre to be outcompeted due to Brexit?
1: Well, thank you very much for that excellent question. Uh, what I would say is, um, you know, with change comes opportunity. And I think one thing that's special about all of us in the parish, no matter what market center we are, is that we've had the great resilience to continue to evolve. And we have an opportunity, UK and European capital markets, to really grow at a time when interest rates are low and the demand for growth is high. And in fact, I would argue that London Stock Exchange, far from being out-competing, is continuing to thrive and shine when you take a look at the deep liquidity in the cash equity markets. When we take a look, at the type of companies that are listing. Not only have we been the traditional global leaders in things like oil and gas and energy and banking, we're now becoming a destination of choice for FinTech and large tech companies. But perhaps what's more interesting is with this trend of rising international financial centers, the proportion of companies that are coming to choose London or their international listing or even dual listing with their own market is going up because how many remember january 2015 the surprise announcement when the swiss national bank uh, did the change to the cap to the euro and then coincidentally the next week the european central bank started what is effectively quantitative easing and that effectively has led into continental europe the reduction in interest rates, in fact, in some countries, negative interest rates. So when you consider the population dynamics of people getting older and living longer, which we said is a good thing, but putting money in the bank is not giving the return that we'll be needing for long-term financial health, one needs to take a look at the equity markets. And at the same time, we started to see from 2015, 2016, 2017, two remarkable trends. The first one is when we took a look at our stock universe we started to see more and more activity down the market cap table as investors were searching for growth through liquidity in mid caps uh, and small caps and they were succeeding in finding that liquidity on London Stock Exchange and Turquoise. The second really fascinating insight was that companies from countries that didn't have negative interest rate. We're finding significant international investment demand in London. And we've also seen a number of really tremendous success stories of joint listings. Because if you consider that many financial centers start with a debt market, then an equity market, and then they may do privatization programs where the local equity market may not have capacity to absorb the full size of the listing, London Stock Exchange really is the number one destination of choice for these companies to raise visibility with customers, with their supply chains. And I'll give you just a couple of examples. If we think of Slovenia in 2018 and the privatization of NLB, the largest bank IPO in EMEA that year, it listed jointly in Slovenia and in London. And even with a majority of capital raised in London, which went straight back to the country, seen as a great success. If we look at Kaz Atomprom the largest uranium producer in the world, also chose to list jointly on their brand new stock exchange, AIX, in what is now Nur-Sultan, in the heart of the Astana International Financial Centre, and on London Stock Exchange, a great success. In fact, another big company, Caspi, a huge fintech payment company from Kazakhstan, listed last year and in a year has tripled in value. What's remarkable is the access to, in fact, liquidity, accessibility, transparency, the very call to action from Patrick's Capital Markets Revolution. You can find that in London and you can find it deeply. Thank you very much.
0: Ruben Indijikian, I think that was an incredible manifesto for the future coming out there from Robert and certainly a very strong understanding of just what makes London the cosmopolitan financial centre that it is. So... Let's change gear, actually, just for a second, Robert, and uh, I've got a fascinating little question from you here. Ike Paguo. good to see you this evening, Aike. Thank you very much for your call. Hi, Robert, active versus passive. What's the outlook for the future? Well, this is an excellent question. Well, the beauty is
1: choice is great for investors. The rise of passive indexation in terms of assets under management all of the objective statistics show it's growing very dramatically. But active stock picking still is in the majority in terms of values that are out there. So what we will see is both active and passive will continue to thrive. And as the humble market operator, we will continue to strive to constantly innovate to reduce the slippage cost, whether you're passive or active to help
0: contribute to long-term investment returns. Thank you. So that's fascinating. I mean, you're talking about that. You've talked a lot about the cosmopolitanism, if I may put it that way, of the London market. International players, players of different sizes, multiple different markets. I mean, I always talk about the very largest exchange groups in the world as all being department stores. And the reason I call them department stores is because if you look at the Young's Pyramid, of exchanges, I mean, they are the biggest businesses. They're very diversified and rather like department stores, no two department stores are identical, but if you blindfold somebody and walk them into a department store, they know exactly that they're in a department store when you take the blindfold off. And that's fascinating because when we look at, you know, the LSEG's overall offering, it's fascinating, Big department store offering. We've got your colleagues in derivatives and so on. We had Andy Ross on this show some months ago. It was a great interview altogether, talking from LSEG's Curve. When I, Robert, look at what you've been thinking about and looking and doing and integrating at London Stock Exchange Group, I find it very, very exciting because you're trying to offer so many different alternatives to people from capital raising at the small end all the way through to capital raising at the large end. But I'm Fascinated to bring you back to some of the stuff you were talking about earlier, particularly within the turquoise model, because, of course, full disclosure, I used to be on the board of LiquidNet in Europe, and LiquidNet was, at that time, the, the biggest of the block traders. But it's very interesting how, as recently as five, six years ago, when I left that board, block trading businesses were still seen as a separate franchise to the exchanges, Now, you've brought together, and you've already talked about it a little bit, but I'd like you to talk about it a little bit more, homogenizing all human life, into what is essentially one amazing three-dimensional hybrid order book it looks a bit like some of these things you must have been looking at when you were looking at biotech when you were doing your phd because there seems to be nodes and germs and all sorts of things going everywhere protons neutrons croutons you know that sort of thing and it's a fascinating overall hybrid basis how do you manage to bring that all together into essentially one venue and still make it work Well, thank you very much. This
1: is an excellent question. When we look at the London Stock Exchange cash equity market, where it has the majority of lit activity every single day, it is the go-to exchange for liquidity. But like all exchanges worldwide, the average trade size has come down. And when you have institutions, pension funds, insurance companies, long-term investors that want to trade large size, Well, there are two ways to do it. You can slice it into little pieces and send them in a small amount uh, to try and hide in plain sight, or you might actually decide to trade and you might have to wait a period of time till you find someone and then maybe price that quite far away from where you can actually see the particular touch. And this is where firms like LiquidNet and others have really innovated as brokers where they've been able to get together a certain addressable liquidity and try to find out mechanisms where they can match together. So the feature of London Stock Exchange and Turquoise, London Stock Exchange as an exchange is broker neutral. And what that means is, while each broker in the community will do as much as they can and they should to try and match their existing customers together to give a better result, Well, the largest global addressable pool will be in the broker-neutral center. And with LiquidNet and others, what's special about London Stock Exchange and Turquoise is their comfort in being able to participate in the broker-neutral center. And so with the small trades that happen, but a large value when you sum up a large number of small trades on the London Stock Exchange lit order book, and innovations like Turquoise Plato and Turquoise Plato Block Discovery that we're very grateful we have refined in partnership with the asset managers who've told us how they like to execute. They want a safe quality price. They want to be treated fairly. They want to trade at the midpoint so the buyer and seller both get an equal benefit of potential price improvement and to still do it in large size without market impact that has been a phenomenal coming together of the community, of the value chain, the buy side, the sell side, and the humble market operator to really innovate, to reduce that slippage cost, to give a compliment to the lit order book that together work really well. Thank you.
0: On that interesting, fabulous, incredible uh... Clustering together, the comprehensive clustering all together. We've got time for a comment by Ruben Indijikian. I'm delighted to see we've got Chris Pryor Willard in the house asking a question. Gonna go there in just a second. Great to see you, Chris. Ruben Indijikian, thank you, Patrick, for organizing such an exciting discussion with an excellent speaker. Oh, thank you very much, Ruben, for paying attention and asking a question of our fine, humble market operator this evening, Robert Bounds. It's a joy to have you in the studio for IPO vid live stream. Now, Chris Pryor-Williard, he's got an interesting question. Hello, Chris. I would be interested to know whether London Stock Exchange Group's lack of a CSD, clearing settlement depository, within its structure portrays little desire for fully integrated securities market. And I do not think that LCH ownership counts in terms of the post-trade service delivery. Interesting one for you there, Robert.
1: Well, Chris, first, it's delighting to see you again, and you are also one of the great settlement experts in our industry. What I would humbly observe is there are really two types of settlement. For those instruments that are generally cash settled, like financial derivatives, clearinghouse really is the layer where a lot of that activity happens. And you know, it's a great privilege to be part of a group, London Stock Exchange Group, that has LCH and SwapClear, which has these enormous numbers of a quadrillion a year of helping firms manage the risk, where you have a much better understanding of risk. And we hope it doesn't happen, but in the event of a default, a much more efficient release of collateral. But your question really comes down to the physical settlement, whether it's of equities, bonds, and others. And what I would humbly observe is in the London stock exchange cash market, we obviously settle directly into... Crest, or what is today Euroclear UK and Ireland, as well as Euroclear Bank in terms of the international order book. so all of the global depository receipts we've got. You can trade Samsung, you can trade from Korea, you can trade Reliance Group from India, and of course all the big mega caps of Russian securities and others from around the world. You can also trade a great innovation in the exchange-traded funds, exchange-traded products that are internationally settled one of the great puzzles that the european etf market has had is that the same issuer has had to list in multiple exchanges the same etf with the same isin identifier you'd find listing in london italy france germany switzerland and the nordics and of course because most of the activity is trading off order book the market maker would be trading and every now and then accidentally settle in france instead of germany get a fine blow the PL for the month well that as an industry, we came together and tried to settle into one place and you know working with firms like BlackRock and others and with Euroclear Bank, now something like ninety percent of our international ETPs and ETFs are settled directly into Euroclear Bank to kind of minimize those fine costs on the industry and Then when we come to turquoise where it is possible to trade UK Swiss and European securities, securities of nineteen European countries. We actually straight through process to 20 settlement destinations. That's 19 country CSDs as well as Euroclear Bank. So you can also trade all of the GDRs on the London Stock Exchange, the Shanghai London Stock Connect success on London Stock Exchange and Turquoise, the AIM Securities and others. All of these things can physically settle. So the humble response would be the access to the settlement destinations are available, particularly in a digitized world. And just like mobile phones, when we pick up a phone and dial a number and speak to someone around the world seamlessly, this is where our capital markets are beginning to evolve. And I think for highly regulated markets like equity markets, where historically they've developed electronically within the regulation and within the electronics of a silo per country, the cross-border dynamic is really beginning to emerge. Who knows? Maybe it could become like the FX market, where two days after trading, FX settles. Two days after trading, equities settle. Currencies trading 24 hours a day. The developed ones settling in one place, CLS. Who knows where the equities will go next? Thank you very much.
0: What an amazing answer. Thank you very much, Robert. It's absolutely sensational. Quick to de force of everything in the world of settlement. That's a fascinating number. 20 different settlement depositories from the LSEG. I hadn't realised you had quite the connectivity. That truly does cover an incredible part of the world, particularly given the international securities that are in Euroclear bank in particular well look i mean thank you very much chris prior for to that excellent question um i want to come back to this actually because you, you started the discussion by very kindly mentioning capital market revolution and we've discussed a lot about what's happening in terms of how that has processed over the course of the years robert where does the capital market revolution go next
1: well i mean being a humble student of your great works patrick I think the digitization of the capital markets value chain will continue. I think there's a great opportunity for all of us in the parish to consider how can we realize these phenomenal economies of scale as we digitize capital markets from the digitize and automation of documentation to the issuance, safekeeping and trading of securities in a digital world to an access on your mobile phone in order to be able to access choice, diversity, and your portfolio. In fact, I think the digitization and automation is a very significant feature. And if if you don't mind me sharing a particular uh, innovation that we've developed within the London Stock Exchange is LSEG flow. It's our ability to digitize and automate documentation that tends to be very numerically intensive, human involved with potential for human error, the need to have complex and confidential negotiations. And we started with one of the lowest commodity, but very high volume products, which are medium term notes. If you think about medium term note programs, you tend to have a lot of detail, a lot of numbers, they're very manual, they're open to potentially uh, mistakes. If you can digitize and automate that at the beginning, and then you bring in the issuance and you can then list on your exchange of choice, This suddenly enables a lot more ability to scale, not just from medium term notes, but into syndicated debt, ultimately into funds and equities. So the digitization of the capital markets workflow starts at the very beginning, but it goes all the way through the issuance, safekeeping and trading. Thank you very much.
0: Fascinating. A very, very interesting view of the future. So therefore, if those are the sorts of opportunities, and I think the truth is it's just such a target-rich environment and we're barely really touching the surface of the capital market revolution, still 20-something years on, what does the future hold, therefore? Where does Robert Barnes go next?
1: Well, hopefully on holiday in August, so we can all recharge our batteries from all the excitement that's going on. Uh, But what I would humbly observe is that when we look around the world, there are so many amazing entrepreneurs that are coming to market. The small, medium enterprises that are really the engines of growth, the engines of employment, the engines of the real economy. You know, as humble market operators, we're playing a very significant role in the real economy. And as humble market operators, we're listening. And certainly the London Stock Exchange, we're listening to the companies of the smallest size to the largest size to bring together the community of issuers, investors, and intermediaries. And what we're adding to the physical market of matching, trading, clearing, and settlement is the access to our digital ecosystem. In our primary markets, we've launched issuer services. In our securities trading, we've launched member services through a digital login the opportunity to share insights around thought leadership, to participate in the marketplace to bring fintechs and our existing ecosystem together, and to get access to new value-added products all through the single point of access that will also contribute to the future. And I look forward to listening and hearing suggestions from anyone on this video, anyone that's in our parish. It's a great privilege to be in our industry and we really respect the opportunity to work together.
0: Robert, on that note, that was absolutely phenomenal. Discussing the whole staircase of capital through to the digital asset value chain, the entirety of the opportunity of things that can be reworked. Stunning opportunity. You mentioned the fact that you're hoping to head off for a summer break in August. I hope it's... um, May your PCR tests be bounteous and, and indeed demonstrate no antibodies of an evil kind. and May you have a wonderful break. We're going to be taking a break as well, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be back after Labor Day, so that's gonna be September the 14th, by which time, hopefully, it will have cooled down just a little bit in the studio, so it won't be quite so profusely hot for making these videos. This has been, I think, a truly sensational IPO vid livestream number 37. We've been talking about everything through the LSEG lens and particularly acutely looking at turquoise with its boss, Dr. Robert Barnes. I think it's fascinating to look at the way that electronic markets have not just grown the pie of volume, but also facilitated ever smaller ticket sizes from, good grief, you were saying somewhere around about £64,000 per average trade, and nowadays we're looking at something that's not that much bigger than gift vouchers that people can manage to buy in certain expensive department stores. It's been a great word from subscriber number one. Thank you again, Robert Barnes. And I just want to thank all of our contributors today. Magnificent questions across the board. Alex Wilkinson, great to see you again. PJ Mourinho, great to see you. Hope we'll see you back soon. Ruben Indijikian, once again, an excellent question all around. Woman on it, looking forward to your live stream tomorrow evening at 5 p.m. London time. Ika Paguo, thank you very much, and Chris Pryor-Williard, one of our stalwarts. Of course, ladies and gentlemen, if you're suffering from withdrawal symptoms, two things to say. One, get yourself a copy of Victory or Death with a uh, forward by Jeffrey Sprecher, the chairman of the New York Stock Exchange, which was my latest tone that came out just as the COVID epidemic befell us last year. And of course, Exchange Invest will be back every day during the course of the summer, holiday bank holidays permitting, where you'll be able to get all of the gossip, all of the information and everything at the water cooler of the parish of markets that you might to learn about which is, of course, the daily reading of the Chairman of the New York Stock Exchange, the Chief Executive of NASDAQ, and dear subscriber number one, the Chief Executive of Turquoise, Robert Barnes. Robert, it's been a joy to have you on the show today. Ladies and gentlemen, have a fantastic summer if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. Have a super winter if you're in the Southern Hemisphere. If you're somewhere in between, you can always read Exchange Invest every day. My name is Patrick L. Young. Thank you very much for watching. Thanks to our studio team tonight, Veronica, Jamil and Beata. Great job all round. IPO vid stream will return September 14th. Have a great week in life and markets. Enjoy summer. Thanks. Okay. Good evening.